In today's show, we're talking NBA draft with Leif Tallene of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's PrizePix.com, and the promo code is Locked On. All right, we're going to talk NBA draft. I'm recording this three or four days in advance, so I don't know what's happening with the NBA finals, but I do know that Monty Williams was just hired by the Detroit Pistons. They paid so much money to get him. It's definitely an upgrade. Great to see they're doing it. Hopefully it works out and that the GM doesn't put a whole bunch of pieces there that don't make sense. But positive, huge positive for the Pistons hiring Monty Williams. So let's get Leaf in and we'll talk NBA draft. All right, let's bring him into the show from the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. It is Leaf Tallene. Welcome to the show, Leaf. Thank you. A pleasure to be on. I've listened to this for years, so I'm excited to make my debut. Yeah, this is the first time you've been on. You didn't come on last last year. You're here now. We hear you all the time on the Locked On NBA Big Board, uh, Locked On NBA Big Board with Raf and with Richard over there. So it's good to have you on to talk NBA draft. And what I'm doing with everyone that is coming on to talk about the NBA draft is ask them a question: What you would do with the first five picks in the draft? Who would you take? Bang it through. Number one, no nonsense. Victor Wembanyama to the Spurs. I think it's a no-brainer. They've sold their soul for to get another big man that's going to hopefully lead them to titles as as they that's their preference mm-hmm. uh number two i would take scoot henderson if i'm the hornets i i just think he's the best player available and that's typically how i draft i know it's a bit redundant you have two point guards who like the ball in their hands but i, I would take him and you know Lamelo's dealing with ankle injuries foot injuries knee injuries and now you have two guys that have superstar franchise-altering talent on your team. Number three, if I'm Portland, I know they're likely to move the pick, but the position of need for Portland is a wing. So Brandon Miller makes a lot of sense there from Alabama. 6'9", scorer, uh, compliments uh, Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp nicely. Number four, I would take Amon Thompson. I know it's slightly redundant uh, with Kevin Porter Jr. already there, but Jalen Green and Amon Thompson's arguably the most athletic backcourt in NBA history. You have positional size, facilitation, and someone who doesn't necessarily need the uh, need the ball to be a scorer. He'll need the ball to distribute and help some of these other players that haven't exactly gotten their lion's share of touches. Uh, and number five, this is really where the draft begins for most people. I think the top four is fairly straightforward. I would take Cam Whitmore if I'm the Pistons. I think Troy Weaver is a big believer in athleticism and Whitmore fits a lot of both needs and just upside things that Weaver tends to swing for. Like Jaden Ivey was the fifth pick last year. His traits were dynamism going toward the rim, athleticism, finishing. Whitmore does a lot of that at six foot six, 235 pounds as a freight train with a 40 and a half inch vertical. 
who also, if you look at synergy, demonstrated excellent touch um, in terms of his shooting percentages and percentiles. So uh, I would go with Cam Whitmore at five due to a fairly high ceiling, and I think he's got a high floor as well. Basically the same as me. I think I've, I've got Hendricks at five on my when I first did it, but I think I am going to adjust that when I do it um, tomorrow or the day after. Well, maybe it's a, actually, I think because I'm releasing this next week, I think it's already been done that I've adjusted that, but I haven't actually gone through and done it. That's the vagaries of recording things out of order. All right, we're going to talk about some players here, and we're going to start by talking about a player that you are a little bit higher on than the consensus. Noah Clowney from Alabama. Now, when I started doing my research into the draft, I looked at Clowney and went, oh, I think I'm going to like this guy. He's 18. He's not 19 yet. He's 6'10", uh, power forward. I think there's just something there, but I've sort of, I haven't really been blown away in the work that I've done over the last couple of months to, to jump him up. I thought, hey, I might have him like top 15, top 20 when we're getting around to it, but I haven't gotten there with him yet. Now, you are a little bit higher on him. There's a big mock draft range with him, 16 through the 38. He averaged 14 and 11 per 36 with over a block. He shot only 28% from three, but 58 true shooting overall. Really good size, great age profile. So what? How, first of all, how high are you on Clowney and why are you so high on him? Yeah, I've got Clowney at number 16 on my big board right now. There you go. Uh, he's someone that I think his best traits are, have yet to be shown on a basketball floor. I think he's actually a center that played power forward because Alabama was enormous. Uh, their front line had Charles Bediaco, who returned to the, uh, who is sticking in the draft, which I, I think is an error. I think he should have returned, but he was getting pushed out by a guy named Noah Pringle. Uh, which speaks to their their size up front. They had two seven-footers that clogged the paint. So Clowney took 47% of his shots from three. And so I think that type of volume uh, for an 18-year-old playing power forward when he's a center, um, the fact that he shot them so confidently, his form looks good, actually encourages me more than the numbers scare me off. Uh, I think he's an excellent rebounder. Like I mentioned, he played with a lot of big guys, as well as Brandon Miller, who is a knack for being a very good rebounder. So his numbers, rebounding the ball, check out defensively. He protects the rim. He slides his feet, played out of position, in my opinion, and was still a solid defender for what was the best team in college basketball. Uh, I, I know that they didn't win. I know they got bounced in the Sweet 16. But if you watch college basketball a year, it would be hard to argue that this team wasn't the favorite to win a seven-game series if they played anyone. And I think he was an integral part of that. I also think he's got the profile of a player that can improve like what he does well is so translatable to the NBA and what he can improve, I think is stuff that people improve naturally in the NBA. He's going to get stronger. That allows him to play bigger, stronger basketball players like the NBA. I think shooting, if you have the athletic basis uh, that, that he has typically shooting comes along in the NBA more easily than you gain athleticism. And I also think he fits the modern style of basketball and run and gun versatility. And I think he's an underrated passer as well. Um, 18% usage rate you mentioned. I, I think that is something that you don't have to change much for him. He doesn't need the ball to be an effective player. And if you're drafting, let's just say 15 through 20, and you're saying, you know, we want a guy who can play early and do a little bit and has room to grow, and we can cultivate him, mold this ball of clay, I think he's someone that has more to mold than most people would around that range. All right, so they're the sort of things that I was interested in him at first. Oh, there's maybe some shooting here. There's some good defense. 
Um, there is uh, rim protection. There's obviously youth and strength and size and all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't know what it was that just sort of pushed him down a little bit for me. Like I've got him, I think, as a late first round guy at the moment, and I'm yeah. So like, I'm gonna look at this list. I've got him behind Chris Murray, so I'm definitely going to change that because I don't want him. I don't want you know four year age difference between guys. Um, so you think exclusively a center, or will he be able to play with another big? I think he can play the power forward and center, and I think he might be better suited as someone like Jalen Williams for the Thunder, the the Arkansas player, someone yep. who plays a small ball center for a unit, uh, protects the rim in his own fashion by being early to the ball, stretches the floor a little bit, and rebounds effectively. I think that's the type of mold you got with a little more potential because I think he's a better shooter earlier in his career than Jalen Williams of Arkansas was, and I also think he's got a chance to be a better rim protector from the shot blocking standpoint. Jalen Williams takes a bunch of charges. I think Clowney can do it with his feet as well as vertical uh, rim protection. So it is really interesting to see how he's developed. You're right. The strong team situation. And I was just talking with Adam Spanella um, show aired a couple of days ago. We were talking about players in, in terms of working their role and guys that are like high usage players in college put up big numbers, but they're never going to be that player in the NBA. There's hard It's hard to get excited about that sort of guy from a drafting perspective. But like Clowney with an 18% usage, you can hit some threes to protect the rim. Like he, That's just what he'll do when he goes to the NBA. So there is a positive in that. Like that role is super valuable if it works out and you're not expecting him. It's not like um, Zach Eady or Trace Jackson Davis or someone who was a big man, but they just got fed the ball and they just did everything because they were, the centerpiece of everything, whereas this guy just fit in and the role is almost a, almost going to be a seamless transition for him. Yeah, and, and that's something I've spoken about a fair amount on Locked on NBA Big Board is there's rarely stars that tran- transition into stars uh, from college to NBA, and, who, and those guys that do are exactly that. They're superstars. There are guys that are stars that now have to adapt to a role in the college basketball, and there's not that many of those guys. But I think some of the best players that you're picking 10 through 20 or even 10 through 25 are guys that played on very good college basketball teams, accepted a role, and are going to play the same role in in the NBA and just develop their strengths. Like they don't have to work. They can work on their weaknesses, but they really just need to develop their strengths. And I think that's my pitch for a guy like Noah Clowney. Another one that I think is similar is uh, Leonard Miller. It's just a little different because he played in the G League. So I think you got to see more of the NBA flow of the offense for him. Um, and how it's doable, whereas Clowney, there's more questions of, oh, how can he do it as a four if he only shot 28% from the college line? But I think basically he's going to be the same player he was at Alabama with uh, the ability to play two positions. I'm, I'm, I'm back in. I'm back in on Clowney. I'm, I'm more intrigued now. You've sold me a little bit more back to sort of where I was to begin with, so that's that's going to be interesting as I try and work out where I'm going to put all these players on this board. We'll get back to talk about someone you're a little bit lower on in a sec, but today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. They've got the $1 million daily Superflex promotion. Every day of the NBA playoffs finals and, and finals, which we're in at the moment, one Price Picks user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry that's placed after 8 a.m. Eastern every day will be randomly selected, and that player or that person who selected who was randomly selected will get a six pick flex with the following payouts you get all six right a million bucks you get five right you get eighty thousand you get four of those six right you get sixteen thousand dollars it's just individual player projections you just say more or less whether it's points or rebounds steals blocks threes fantasy points baseball they've got in there other sports nascar golf boxing ufc and of course if you're so inclined you can throw some disc golf player props in there as well 
So go to pricepicks.com slash million, and that will make you eligible for the million-dollar payout. You opt in there, you read all the conditions, and then you just go play the game as an all. But you can also get a, what is it, 100% instant deposit match? Yeah, 100% instant deposit match up to $100 when you use the promo code locked on. So if you deposit 100, you get 100. Deposit 50, you get 50. Easy stuff. But you've got to do the promo code locked on at your sign-up for that instant deposit match up to $100. All right. Let's give a... I'm glad we're talking about this guy. Let's give a reality check to someone. Grady Dick. The wing from Kansas. Arguably one of the, if not the best shooter in this class. He's 19. He's six foot seven. Range of draft outcomes, according to some mock drafts I've looked at, 9 to 19. 9 feels really high to me. He shot 40% from 3, 20 usage, and that sort of ties into a thing. Like, he wasn't going and getting 28 usage because he's never going to do that in the NBA. So that level of shooting on a solid role player usage is really strong. Um, 6 rebounds per 36, 16 points. All this looks like a really solid role player type, but I think I know what you're going to say, and I'll, I'll say what I think. I just think, what else does he do? Like, the shooting's really good, but is there anything else? And if you're taking someone at 9 or 10 or 11, I'd like you to do a little bit more than be a role player shooter. I'm right there with you. That's been my pitch since day one. And I've gotten lots of lashback as a Jazz fan. A lot of people in, in Utah oh, yeah. say, man, this is a guy to take at 9, mm-hmm. much less at 16. And I've got him at 19 right now. Um, just because I think he's got a projectable trait. That's something you look for in the middle rounds, as I was talking about Clowney, is like if you're really good at something and you can just cultivate your strengths, that's really something that's important. However, how many players did you see that uh, in the playoffs, and, and we're entering the finals, how many did you see that have one strength on a court and, and play effective minutes uh, throughout the postseason that are one-dimensional? Uh, I mean, for instance, I think Kevin Herter is about as good a scenario as possible for Grady Dick. Kevin Herter got played off the court. Like, yep. it's he quite simply did. I know he was playing some of the greatest shooters. There were defenses at the utmost value where you, you really need to run him off the line. But Kevin Herter had far more creation skills coming out of Maryland than does Grady Dick. Uh, Kevin Herter now in his fifth year, yeah, fifth year, I believe, uh, yep. in the NBA has developed into a very talented offensive creator, and he was not unable to play minutes in the series in his first postseason debut. Grady Dick is not as good an athlete with the ball in my hand, in my opinion. I think he's a fine run and jump athlete, more of like a workout warrior in the sense that he'll measure fine. But if you watch him play, and I'm a total college basketball nerd, I watched Kansas about 20 times live. And I can tell you in the number of times he actually isolated and scored with a move that was like supreme athleticism. And that was very few. It, it was one dribble pull up. So if you, if you kind of mentioned to me some of these advanced stats, I'll put some context to it. He is a good off the dribble shooter. That's considered one of the greatest weapons in, in basketball. But his off the dribble shooting is off a one dribble pump fake, not like Luka Doncic's step fat creation. So now you're basically selling me this guy has to be such a good shooter that offensively he has so much value that he's going to compensate for his lack of defense and and versatility so i i just don't see him returning value and i tend to prioritize upside rather than floor so to me he's like Corey kispert and he was picked at 14 i didn't i didn't like that pick and Corey kispert was older but but uh that that's my spiel i've I've said this a number of times and every time i get lashed back and i expect it again 
but I think we're on the same mind. It's the same thing that I said. I said I was going to say easy this year is Corey Kispert, the guy that comes in can hit threes. But man, what else? Like what else are you doing? And I'm I have sort of gradually moving him down. I've got him at 16 at the moment. Shooting is really really good. Like uh, that, there's no problem with that. That's really important. You need to be able to shoot. That's that's great. But again, do something else. Like how can you? You can't be a lead guy on the off in the offense, and there, and especially in a draft class like this where there are other upside players who can turn into creators or big wings that have that more versatility. It might not work out, but there's a chance that it works out, and there's a chance that I reckon there's maybe ten or so guys that probably get drafted after him who have got a chance at having a better career. They won't necessarily do it, but the archetype of what Dick provides is it's just not. It's not that sort of swing for the fences type of move. And again, I was really critical of the Corey Kispert pick as well. So what, what what's the point of this? Like this is just, there's no excitement in it. There's no upside. You're not winning anything by making this pick. You're just getting a guy that, yeah, sure, you, could, you might sign him for $15 million a year after his, after his team, first first team doesn't match his restricted free agent yeah, contract and he's 27 and he contributes to a winning team then. That's all well and good. And he's, they can be perfect fit players. And I got in, not an argument with someone the other day and someone said, look, as you can tell by the teams that are in the pl- deep in the playoffs in the finals, yeah, drafting for fit is really important because it's all about these guys fitting together. And my point is, that's true. The guys have to fit, but you don't draft for that. You draft to get the guy that will be able to fit you be able to fit other guys around because those fit players, Contavious Caldwell, Pope, Bruce Brown, these sort of players, they f- they float around and you can get them in trades and you can get them in free agency. The top end guys, you can't unless you're giving up so much stuff. So especially at the top end of the draft, I want I want to hit on that guy. And then if Grady Dick becomes available in seven years' time, yeah, sure, come in, play 25 minutes, hit 44% of your threes, be Joe Harris, whatever. That's great. But yeah, you know, that's not a particularly exciting draftable player to me. Yeah, and, and just to further your point here, KCP was the eighth pick of the 2013 draft. Coming nice. out of Georgia, KCP uh, scored an unbelievable amount. Like, he was an isolation scorer. And so that was more upside. Yes, he's turned into a 3 and D glue guy, uh, and he's very good at it. But that's not exactly what you're projecting Grady Dick to be. You're projecting him to be just a shooter. Like we talked about Kesper, we talked about Herder. Um, one other thought for you here is if you're drafting – in the top 10 there's mm-hmm. only a few teams where you'd actually want to draft for fit because you they have their guy and i think the magic would be one I agree and that's six and eleven so i'll, I'll count eleven in there because i don't think you take him at six nope. and i would say the thunder at 12 would be the other and i guess i guess dallas at 10 but there's been reports that they won't take dallas um sorry dallas won't take him so i don't see any reason that you would go for someone as a fit when the when your rest of your team isn't built out to fit around like like i'm completely in concurrence with you so i don't really see a way that he goes top 12 unless it's one of those three teams and one of those teams dallas has been forward whether it's smoke or not there's reports that they won't take him so i i think he will go lower than a lot of people have prognosticated for him to go i could see him going at 11 to the magic without any any doubt i could see that happening and yeah. that makes a little bit of sense to me but in terms of if i'm just going to rank where the how the players are on my board he's going to be lower than that for me and that's i have the same that's why i've got jordan hawkins down lower as well because I, I have a similar sort of worry with what he does it's like it's a great skill but but yeah, what else? What else are we doing with him? And he's a little bit smaller, I think, than uh, than Dick is, as well. All right, this next guy is someone I am really, really interested to talk about. Brandon Podzemski. Did I say that correct? I think I did. Um, yep. Shout out to his dad who started following me on Twitter as well. Who's yeah, big big supporter of his son. This guy's statistical profile is actually unbelievable. 
you go onto Tankathon and they list your stat strength and stat weaknesses. He's got no weaknesses. And he's got about 15 strengths left uh, listed. Everything's there. He averaged 20 points per 36, shot 44% from three on six attempts per game. He rebounded well. He got almost two steals per 36. He had decent assist numbers. His true shooting was over 60. He played 36 minutes a game. Um, he even blocked half a shot a game as a six foot five guard. There's just... Uh, he got to the rim, four and a half free throw attempts per game, which is not a huge amount, but it's not a bad amount. He's 20 years of age. He's following on from the other Jalen Williams in Santa Clara, playing over there as is sort of jump, I guess, jumping into his role. But the statistics are fantastic. They're unbelievable. They're great. I love that. We love that for a fantasy perspective as well. But Leaf, there are a few other guys who have come out in recent years who have had similarly positive statistical profiles. One of them was Jake Laravia, and the other one that came to mind was Dylan Windler who were all had these really, well, man, these rebounds and steals and blocks and shooting. It's all great. And those guys have done absolutely nothing in the NBA. Now, I'm not saying that Potemskis, that shooting's been unbelievable. I think he is probably going to be better. But I was also really high on both of those guys. So I'm a little bit snake bit on being high on those guys just through statistical profile. And then when I see Brandon's numbers come in, they look sort of similar. And that worries me somewhat. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I actually was fairly low on the other two, and I and I think I'm kind of around the consensus on Pojemski. Uh, I actually spoke with Brandon at the Combine, so I was in attendance there, and he played very well in his first game. And I went down to media and asked him about kind of his transition to playing at Santa Clara from Illinois, where he didn't get any playing time, and they sorely lacked a point guard. He talked about it's just opportunity. I think I had this in me all along. I'm not just taking advantage of weaker competition. Um, and from his play while watching him play the best athletes in the country that are at the combine that we're playing in, he was the most poised player there. And while you can have two interpretations, okay, maybe because his athletic ability might limit him. So he has to play with guile. I I'd actually say that he's learned to play that way and his body and athleticism is functional. He's not going to like run you through the gym or anything, but he was the best passer at the combine in my opinion. And he had a line to me that I think was a pretty fun one, so I'll repeat it. He, he said, I'm a hooper who can shoot, not a shooter who can hoop. Okay. And uh, and I actually like that because he he did demonstrate he can pass. And that he wants to be, he's a point guard, not a two guard. And so if you if you can shoot the ball like he does and handle the ball, and then defensively is the only worry I have. Is, is he quick enough to guard some of these uber-athletic guards that are really dominating the NBA? But I, I think he's probably going to be a first-round pick. It uh, so. depends the what 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 type of first like he's going to be a second unit guy early on a table setter. I think he could be very good at that. It just depends who he plays with. How do you compare him to say uh, Desmond Bain, who came out of college a little bit older, but as an elite shooter with who's worked a lot and, and doing a lot with pick and roll and ball handling, but had a little bit of that coming out of TCU. Still struggles defensively with a short wingspan. Um, how do you compare those two as players and prospects? I think Bain, due to his figure, like he, he's a strong guy. Um, there was less athletic concerns, even with the limitations by his wingspan. I think Pochemski's is about an inch and a half longer than his height. Okay. So he does have a positive wingspan. But uh, I think Bain, you knew, would translate better defensively. Um, and I, and Pochemski could be a good defender. It's just Bain I had more confidence in just due to his stature. Like his shoulders are like bowling balls, whereas Pochemski, like you could see him on a street. And you'd be like, oh, it's just a nice, nice tall guy, like tall, athletic guy. Whereas Desmond Bain, you know, he was he was different because of how how he was built. But 
I like the comparison because they're both developed into who they are as players um, in roles as point guards. But I think he's more of a point guard than Desmond Bain was. Bain was just the best player on a team. And so they were like, you know, we're going to put the ball in his hands because that's our best chance of winning. Pozimski's also a little bit taller as well. 6'5", Bain's like 6'3", I think. So a little bit of extra height uh, on him there. He is a very, very interesting prospect. The shot chart looks amazing. He's hitting shots from everywhere. The passing nugget is really interesting to note because that's an extra thing that those other guys that I was a little concerned about statistically don't really have, especially Dylan Winlow. Look, LaRavia was a pretty good passer, but Winlow never had that sort of... um, uh, that sort of passing talent. There is a lot to like here. The the showing of the combine was a positive. I have moved him up into my first round. I didn't have him there uh, immediately. How high do you think you would go on him? Right now, I've got him at 35. Okay. So he's just outside my first round. Uh, I think the question is going to be how many teams from 25 to 30 yep. decide we're going to go enormous upside. And because they get the extra year on their on their contracts, and so for instance, a guy like Dylan Mitchell comes to mind as someone who could be a benefactor of or a beneficiary of that type of contract, much like Peyton Watson was, where you just are trying to cultivate this unbelievable athlete and say, you know what, if we can transition what you do very well into a positive play for us, and we can retain you for an extra year, uh, then I think he falls in the in the draft just a little bit because he's got less top tier upside. But I think he's safer than a guy like Dylan Mitchell. I think he's safer than a guy like Bobby Clintman, Bilal Koulibaly even. Um, but those are guys I have ahead of him just because I tend to prioritize upside. And I think it depends how you define upside. For me, it's it's just at that rate, you're swing, swinging for the fences. If you absolutely hit, then you got to steal. Whereas I think he's more projectable at 28 and more likely to succeed. It's just at a lesser rate. I've got him at 25 at the moment. I'm sort of working out where that's going to end up, but I am I am intrigued, and I the passing is a really if that hits, and he does become a useful passer and can hold up defensively. Then there is a path for him, I think, to be a, a starter for a while in the NBA. Let's go to another guard. We we'll head to um, we we'll head to Gonzaga, and it is Julian Strother, who's 21. He's six seven. Could be a first rounder, probably an early second rounder, most likely. Another great shooter, 41% from three. 62 shooting, average seven rebounds per 36 to go with almost 18 points, two and a half threes. He had a lot of success playing with Gonzaga. Obviously, we saw a lot of him through the tournament too. We've talked a lot about shooters, and Podjemski is one of those guys, and Dick is a shooter too, and obviously Strava hitting 41% of threes can fall into that boat. But my question always is, what else? Like, Is there more to his game than just being a shooter? I think his best trait outside of shooting is actually rebounding. Yep. Um, I think he attacks the ball well, and I know you could look at numbers and be like, oh, yeah, those are those are solid. But having watched him a lot, I think he's very intelligent about finding the ball, going up and getting it. Defensively, I'd say he's more able at the college level to defend. I'm curious about how that translates because I don't think he's like a wing stopper. I think a lot of 3 and Ds get the label 3 and D, and there's not much defense. Uh, for instance, a guy like Ochag Baji, I compared to uh, Reggie Bullock. Yep. And I don't. I think that's like a, a guy that you would try to be if you're picked in the same range as Julian Strother or, or Agbaji. I know he went 14th, but where I had him like 23rd, and, he, and yes, he's so played right. well. But, uh, but my point being is upperclassmen, you want to have a projectable trait and, and role that they're going to be able to execute because they're, they've, they showed that they weren't dominant enough to come out as freshmen. My concern for Strother is I don't think he's 
the athlete on the perimeter that allows him to be a really good defender. And his shot, I have a concern that it's a low release. I think he's a very good shooter, but when you've got tremendous athletes closing out at you, it's hard to compensate with a low release. You have to be such a good shooter um, to get that type of uh, a, a volume, just a volume for those type of attempts that you have to prove you're that good of a shooter to stay out there if you're not a tremendous athlete. And so I have a little bit more of a concern about Strother than I do um, other guys of this ilk. He's probably going to get drafted in that range of like uh, Marcus Sasser in that area as well. Tequavion Smith is like shooting guard types. Ben Shepard probably be a little bit later, but maybe Amari Bailey around that area too. Like how do you compare him to say more specifically like a Marcus Sasser? I think those guys will be yeah, well-known college players. Yeah, we're on strong teams in the tournament, known as shooters. Like how do you sort of compare and contrast those players? See, I think Strother has the advantage of being bigger, so he's able to play a couple positions. I think Sasser's probably going to try to be a point guard yep. uh, because he's just not very big. Uh, he, he's a, he hounds the ball defensively. I think, for, uh, if we're being honest, I think Sasser is a better shooter and a better defender than Strother. So I, I have him higher on my board for that merit, but I just don't know how good of a point guard he is because he played the two guard in, in college because he played with Jamal Shedd, who is his point guard at Houston. And they're a very, very good team that ran through him. But I think he's a point guard. So to me, they're they're different evaluations. But I, I think Sasser is a better shooter and defender. As for Amari Bailey, I think he is a shooting guard that will try to play point guard. I just don't think he's ready yet. But because he's younger and super quick, he's got a trait that, that differentiates him. He's exceptionally fast. Um, I think he's also a better prospect than Strother. But Strother may be better earlier in his career. Yeah, which is what you'd expect considering he's sort of three years three years older, I think, um, than what uh, than what Strother is at this point. Or th- sorry, Strother's three years older than Amari Bailey. Let's finish this out by talking about another player who was a big part of the tournament and yeah, was on the team that ended up winning it all. Adama Sonogo, a big man, twenty one years of age, six nine, probably a later second round player. Some of the per thirty six numbers are pretty crazy. Twenty three and ten. He shot thirty seven percent from three, sixty five true shooting. Uh, a block and a steal per 36, high usage, 28%, which I had to double check that. It looks like, isn't it? What? That, that, that seems wrong. Like, that is really, really high uh, usage for a big man. So I always, always sort of recoil a little bit when I see these big men who put up big usage numbers in college and they're going to be second round players. I go, oh, I don't know how that's going to work. And a guy that I had that concern about is actually going back to school now, Dayron Holmes, a player like that. I go, okay, well, so you're getting by on these big usage numbers, but that's just never going to happen outside of 15 minutes a game in the NBA. How does is Sonogo all offense? Can he rein that usage in? Can he play a, a different role in the NBA to what he played at UConn? So it's interesting for him. He was, they ran really complex offensive sets where he got a lot of flex screens and he'd catch the ball on the block in advantageous situations. And he was super strong. Like his mm. shoulders are enormous. His hands are big, his arms are long and he finished very well. So, uh, as for can he can he do some of the similar things around the basket in the NBA? I actually think so. I'm a little concerned about the rebounding and and defense at the NBA level. Not for lack of athleticism. It's just it's hard. I think six nine is probably generous. Uh, I'd bet without shoes he's about six seven, and he he has long arms. He's got big hands, but it's how many centers and and he's a center yeah. are, are at that height. Like Ben it's, Wallace is the one that comes to mind, but Ben Wallace is an absolute anomaly. Montrez Harrell and, is probably that a height, but we know his uh, his defensive issues. 
Yeah, and, and I think he's probably better defensively than Harrell. Harrell's a better athlete. Sonogo's better at positioning himself. I actually came away impressed with Sonogo at the Combine. I think he did very well playing against fellow collegiate athletes. I uh, did a good job scoring the ball and, and defending. But I just have my reservations about what type of role there is for a six foot seven offensively oriented scoring big man. Uh, like, for instance, a guy that follows the same path as a college player is Jock Landale. But right. Jock Landale's bigger. Yeah. Um, he, he's bigger and he's slimmed up his body in, uh, a lot since college and has become like an energy big who doesn't get featured in the block. So I, I just have my reservations about projecting someone like Sonogo to do very well in the NBA. But I will admit, I, w- I had low expectations for him at the Combine, and he, and he was very good. Uh, definitely exceeded my expectations at the Combine. Yeah, you watch his highlights and just him playing at, at UConn, and you see how big he is and, and pushing through guys and finishing with strength, and no one can really knock him off that spot. And some of that, you go, well, is that is that a college thing? Or is, yeah, there is, yeah, but... Big is big. Like there are bigger players in the NBA, but he's still bigger than bunches of NBA players already, and he probably is stronger than a lot of them. The NBA is not like everyone is now super jacked in the size of Giannis or Joel Embiid. Those guys exist, but not everyone is that big. So he's going to have some strength advantages straight away. And he's not coming in at nineteen; he's twenty-one. He's already got that. But you're right, defensively, it does lead to the problem, and, and the size is is a little bit of a concern. He also turned the ball over quite a bit as well. He had like two point six turnovers per thirty-six to one point seven assists. So that's not great. I don't think he's got any sort of passing vision. He did now the sh- the shooting's the question because he shot 37% from 3. That was on 1.3 attempts per game, almost 2 per 36 minutes. That's not a huge volume, but it, it's it's something. Is that projectable at all? I think there's something to work with. I I think should he make it and be a a backup big, he will have to shoot the ball uh at an adequate level about those similar splits right there. Uh, he shot the ball really well early in the season because no one knew it would happen. He went through a little bit of a cold streak as UConn struggled in late December, early January. And then as UConn hit their torrid stretch leading towards the uh, conference tournament and then their championship run, he didn't shoot a lot of them, but he made a fair amount of them. And so the fact that he was able to take them on a team that had championship aspirations, obviously won the championship, and there weren't necessarily bad shots, I actually think is is encouraging. It's just what type of leash will he be given uh, in terms of how many shots are you going to allow this backup big man to shoot? And so I think that's something he'll cultivate in practice, and it should he really crack an NBA rotation, that could be a skill that differentiates him from a guy like, uh, let's say, Oscar Shibway, who's of a similar mold, who's a rebounding machine, uh, and I think Shibway's a better athlete than Sonogo, but Sonogo's more skilled. So if if you want the manimal, Kenneth Fareed, you're you're taking Shibway. If you if you want someone to be, I don't have a comparison for Sonogo, but someone with a little more skill and who, whose motor is is his main trait as well, then you can go with Sonogo. But you're not going to see too many roles open up for those type of players. The other intriguing thing with his shooting is that 77% from the free throw line, which is a great indicator, and that's on a decent volume there as well, over three attempts per game through his almost you know, almost 40 games that he played. So there is something there. The efficiency just across the board is amazing. And if you get that level of production, that's that's really, really strong. But yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. But there are some positive indicators there with Sonogo and his shooting. Leaf, 
that brings us to the end of today's show. So thank you for being a part of it for the first time. And thanks for jumping on and chatting NBA draft. A lot of our philosophies seem to align with the, the draft here. So that's, that's always good to get a little bit of a, a boost to my own my own scouting and my own thought process on that. But you can, they, can, uh, they can hear you, of course, on the Locked On NBA Big Board. What have you guys got coming up um, in the next week or so? Yeah, Richard Stamen and I will have you covered for the latest on who's in the NBA draft and who is with uh, withdrawing and just breaking news right now. Dylan Mitchell uh, just withdrew his name, oh. and I, that was someone I mentioned just earlier yeah. about how he could be a benefit a beneficiary of a good combine and and high athletic uh, level player, someone someone take a swing on. So we'll we'll break down the winners and losers, who who helped their stock, who hurt their stock via. Uh, staying in the draft and who who surprised us and then Raphael uh, Richard and I often will give you a, a category of players uh, and say these are the best guys of the draft at this and we'll always update you with our big boards which are changing but not too much as right now it's it's just rewatching film and and hearing smoke screens so we're in the same boat as all of you guys but hopefully giving you good expertise and thank you for having me on I'm, I, I like your draft philosophy as well thank you um, check him out. Check out all the stuff that you, those guys. Now, by the time this comes out, you would have heard that podcast about the transfer deadline, or not the, the transfer about the deadline day withdrawals. But go back and check it if you haven't seen it already over on Locked On NBA Big Board. Leaf, thanks for coming on with me. Absolutely, anytime. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.